Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast. Our goal is to help technical professionals accelerate their career progression, increase their job satisfaction, and bring you the advice we wish had been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Corty, at NetworkNerd underscore. We both work in the tech industry with backgrounds in IT operations and sales engineering. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. We also wanted to mention that our second site, graph.nerd-journey.com, is also live. That's the knowledge graph and linked notes version of our main page's show notes that we developed to make it easier to explore our episodes, guests, and topics. All right, episode 244, part two of our discussion with Tim Crawford. Uh, just to review part one, which if you haven't listened to, you should go back and listen to episode 243. A couple points that we just want to like maybe highlight just to remind you, curiosity uh, led uh, Tim to a computer repair job. And then building networks and consulting and project management is just a consistent theme. You know, asking questions and curiosity led to bigger things. He talked a little bit about how to get experience at scale, both as an uh, individual. And then he actually had some recommendations for organizations that he hinted at. And then he talked about building relationships, both inside an organization and outside and participating in uh, technical communities or just communities in general. And then he talked a little bit about good and bad leaders. So what are we looking for in part two, Nick? Well, I know we kind of cut off part one at a non-optimal point for the listener, I guess. But we were talking to Tim about leadership. He talked about good and bad leaders. So this week, consider the question, are you more interested in technology or people? And how does the answer to that question affect whether you should be an individual contributor or a leader? That's a good discussion we had with Tim. And then... How do you know who can be on the board of directors or if they're board of directors material? Is it everybody? Can anybody progress to that level? Tim has some pretty strong opinions. Yeah, definitely listen out for that. He also said something about uh, delivering an organization as something a, a leader once told him. I'd listen out for that part of the discussion. And then he talked about ways of effectively communicating with the executive levels of an organization, which is always something that we're curious about. It's always interesting to get different perspectives on that. And then there's a very interesting section where uh, he talked a little bit about giving back by teaching again in a slightly different context than we heard about um, last week in episode 243. And then finally, I think the thing that I wanted to highlight was the discussion of deciding what's next in a career. You know, really cool stuff to listen out for. This conversation was so dense, uh, but... We will throw it to episode 244, part two of our discussion with Tim Crawford. And does that mean that you are more interested in that than technology like you had before? Is it is it choosing to follow the greater interest? In this case? Yeah, that's a great question. And that was hard for me. 
you know, starting out in technology, you know, at some point you have to you have to give up the technology and recognize that you're a leader. Your job, and I had a I had a manager tell me this, uh, my upline tell me this once, you know, my job here is to deliver an organization. My job is to deliver an organization. At the time I was like, okay, I hear you, but I, I'm not grokking it. I don't I, I don't know. It's gibberish to me. Over time I've begun to understand what that means. And even today, I'm, you know, 30 some odd years into my career and I'm still learning. I'm still learning about what it means to be a leader and and even though I have a lot to offer, I think you still are looking for ways to continually learn and better yourself and that is a that's a cycle. But to your point, one of the things you will find is as you start out as a leader, start out as a supervisor, manager, get in to be a director, get to be a VP, C-suite member. As you start to progress down this path, at some point, and it's not dictated by the title, but at some point, you'll start to realize that you can only do so much hands-on. And you have to find this balance between your organization and leading your organization from hands-on in the technology. And there are some good ways this starts to come up. Like, let's say you've got an opening on your team and you're like, gosh, I can just get in there and I can make some changes and do it myself. And, you know, it's quicker than if I had to go out and try and hire someone and find someone to do it. And that might be true for that particular situation, but then what happens for the next one and the next one and the next one? And so you do see this point coming where you have to make a change of, okay, it's time to pick up my hands off the keyboard. Now, that doesn't mean you never touch the keyboard again. What it means is I might have to demonstrate to someone, okay, here's something you can learn from. You know, here's something that I used to do. Let me show you. And there we go. But it really comes down to that balance and then what you're prioritizing. Are you prioritizing being a leader or the technology? And if it's the technology that drives you, then maybe leadership is not your is not your interest. And that's okay too, right? We need individual contributors as much as we need leaders. So there are many ways to lead. If you are going down a path of leadership, you will hit that point. And then if you take it to the ultimate extreme of being on the the board of directors of a company, you know, there's a saying, eyes in, hands out, because you're a governance body, you are not an operational body. And so you have to understand what that means, you know, in terms of what you talk about, how you say things, what you what you say, who you say it to. It gets to be a little more complicated. But yeah, there is a point where you make the choice of okay, I'm more interested in leadership than I am technology. And I can remember going through through that at multiple points along my journey. It's not just one point and all of a sudden the switch changes and, and you're off to the next phase. Yeah, I like that. And I think it's it's interesting what you mentioned about the board of directors because I think most individual contributors probably have little clue about what their C-level executives or board of directors may care about. I would be curious to get your feedback on how people at the lowest levels can learn to better communicate with their highest level leaders or at least understand what those highest level leaders and boards of directors really care about. 
so that as they're having conversations, they can more effectively articulate problems in the scope of the business? It is a challenge. For example, last week I gave a presentation to a group of uh, CDOs, so chief digital officers. There, I think there were a couple of CIOs in the mix there too. And I've given a similar presentation to CIOs. I mean, last fall I was on stage at the Wall Street Journal's CIO Summit talking about how CIOs ascend to boards. And, you know, we always think about up and out, up and out, up and out. You know, how do you progress? How do you progress? How do you progress? But at some point you have to ask yourself, is that really what I want? Is that really what where I want to be and what's going to drive me? And so this presentation that I was giving, again, these are executives. These are well-experienced executives, not junior folks. And I'm helping them understand what the board of directors is like, how they work, what they're interested in, what their genetic makeup typically is, how you interact with them, how you get invited to a board meeting, uh, you know, all of those types of things. You know, what do you present? What do you talk about? How much time do you have? What's kind of the, the tone and cadence kind of set in the stage for what a board meeting looks like? And that's incredibly helpful because even at an executive level, they may not have exposure to their board. So if you're even a junior individual contributor or manager or director or VP, you may not have access to your board. I mean, I know CIOs from publicly traded companies that do not have access to their board, which to me is really concerning in its own right. But I think that the advice that I gave this group of executives, which is the same thing I'd give to the most junior person, is understand your business. First and foremost, everything is about the language of business. And the language of business is partially money, but it's more than that. It's important that you understand how your company makes money and how it spends money. And let me explain. So if you think about Gap, a clothing manufacturer, they have brick and mortar stores that you can go into. You can also buy online. They make shirts and pants. For those of you that aren't familiar with Gap, shirts and pants, you know. But the the thing that is important to understand is how do your customers engage with your company? How do you make money? Well, they go online, they buy products. They go in store, they buy products. They engage through a website, through a mobile app, through people interaction. They might buy the product secondhand. But it's important to understand all of these different vehicles are all of these different pathways. And then when you think about the second piece of this equation, which is how you spend money, that's where you start to understand, well, okay, so Gap doesn't manufacture themselves. They go through contract manufacturing, which means they contract with a company in another country that they give them, they do the design, they give it to the manufacturer, they build it. Apple even does this, right, with phones and, and tablets and computers. They give it to a third party. They actually assemble it, build it. Then it goes through shipping, right, through your supply chain, gets through distribution, gets out to a distribution center, and then eventually gets either to the store or sent to the product is sent to the customer. But it's important to understand where you're spending money generally and how you're making money from a business standpoint. Now, you may not understand all of that intimately, but some good ways to learn about this if you're really really serious about getting into the weeds on this is look at your company's financial reports. I call them the big three, right? You've got your income statement, your cash flow statement, and your balance sheet. 
And so if you look at those three, there's also a fourth, which is um, earnings and, and owner's equity, which is the fourth component. But typically the, the big three, and if you're in a public company, the big three say a lot about what you're doing. And you can usually relate to that. You may not be able to read the, the financial uh, statements as easily if you're not of that background and ilk, but you can at least start to understand what your company is doing and where the concerns are and where the opportunities are. Then you take that and you go, look at what I'm doing today. How does this connect to that? Because at the end of the day, that, those statements, those objectives that the board sets, that the executive team sets, that's what everyone kind of kind of brings the wagons around to, to focus on. And then it's important for you to understand what you're doing and your role. How does that create value? And value is a very important word to learn. How do you create value for your company along the lines of those objectives? That's a huge step forward if you can understand how to connect those dots. And connecting those dots is something that not a lot of people know how to do. So that's a great point. And it's not just a junior person. Senior folks struggle with this too. So, you know, as my wife likes to say, give yourself a little grace. You know, you're not going to learn it all day one. I didn't learn it all day one. But over time, you pick up a little more, you pick up a little more, you pick up a little more. And what it also does is it causes you to sit in a meeting and you start to hear things a little differently. You start to hear things that you didn't notice before, or maybe you tuned out of, and you're like, hmm, interesting, such and such said this. I wonder if that is tied to this that I read about. And so it starts to inform you in a different way, and you become much more sophisticated in your thinking, which then just helps you advance your career. It's almost like watching a movie again and seeing part of it you didn't see before. That's right. I like that. You know, just to kind of go along that same metaphor is, you know, sometimes there's a you know, suspense movie and you don't understand why the different characters are acting the way they are until the very end when, you know, there's a little bit more of a reveal and you, you've learned more. And then that helps you when you understand that movie again. You're like, oh, these motivations lead to these types of actions which leads to this, you know, leads to patterns of behavior. No, it's absolutely right. And I'll give you a good example of, of how that can play out. A little different today with so many people working remotely, but just imagine you're going into an office, going into a meeting. I had um, some folks that I met with after I left a company. People were really kind of confused, like, how were you so successful in going into a contentious discussion and coming out of that discussion with people kind of getting what they're looking for, or at least getting a piece of what they're looking for. And I was a little perplexed by this because I didn't quite understand how, how to react to it. But as we talked through it, I started to realize that I was reading people not just based on what they were saying, but how they were acting. So I was reading the body language of people. And today you don't see the full body. You just see the the head on Zoom or Teams or whatever. But you start to watch the body language of people and you actually get a lot more information about what's resonating and what's not. And it becomes really interesting 
when you're trying to negotiate and figure out how to make something work. Because let's face it, these meetings are about negotiation. At the end of the day, it's about negotiation, right? Nick and I are going into a meeting with John. We're negotiating. We're going to talk. This is not just a report of something. I mean, don't buy into that because I could have put that in an email and been done with it if it was a one-way document. This is a negotiation. And so understanding how to read people and understanding their choice of words or if they're using words that are different than they normally use or if they happen to introduce people that you're not normally interacting with. I mean, all of these are indicators and you start putting together this little puzzle. And John, it's just like you said, you know, over time you look at the movie again and again or you wait till the end and you go, ah, I get it. As you go through your career, you'll start to pick up on these clues earlier and earlier and earlier. But it's important to keep your eyes open, your mouth shut, and your ears peaked. You mean we're not supposed to try to be the one who talks the most, Tim? No. In the meeting? <laughs> no. I mean, there, there are those times, right? There are those times when you're put on the spot and you've got to demonstrate, but it's generally, or it shouldn't be, it shouldn't ever really be, who can put the most number of words in a five-minute time frame? <laughs> you know, it should be about who's going to provide the best value to the discussion or to the project or whatever it is that's on the table. So it's, it's not the most airtime, it's the most insight? It is. It is. You know, the other thing is sometimes it's not... It's not a matter of you producing the answer. Sometimes it's getting John to produce the answer or Nick to produce the answer. Even though you've got the answer, sometimes you have to help others. And I don't care whether you're the most senior leader or the most junior person on the team. This is, this is a skill. This is an art and a skill that you develop over time. And when you can start to leverage that, and some will say, oh, well, that's manipulation. No, it isn't. It absolutely is not manipulation. Because what you're tr also trying to do is you're helping other people see the path so they can then buy into whatever the outcome that you're driving toward is aligned with. And so it's important to understand that balance between when is it time for me to speak? And when is it time for me maybe not to speak or encourage others to speak too? It's so interesting, you know, I'm, you know, maybe twice as old as you were when I'm getting into management, but I, I definitely recognize that these skills that you're talking about, and I think in leadership and management, they, the specific thing that you're talking about, they now refer to as coaching, right? It's how do I evoke in this person the realization or the behavior or the knowledge or the decision that I think is you know, that I'm trying to, to move them towards. It's a very technical skill. And so I guess I'm realizing a little bit later in life that leadership and management has, an ex has an, a set of extremely technical skills that are almost orthogonal to the technology that uh, is underlying in the, underlying those roles. It very well can be. And you know, it is interesting, though, we, we actually are exposed to leadership at a very early age. We just don't realize it. That leadership comes from our parents, but that leadership also comes from teachers. 
And so if you think of teachers, what do they do? They don't give you the answer. You go to math, they're, they're not telling you two plus two equals four. They're not saying, hey, just write down four. They're teaching you how to do the math, how to work the problem. And so what I just suggested is essentially the same thing. You're teaching other people in the meeting without them realizing it necessarily, but you're teaching them how to work the problem. Now, why is that important? Because you could just quickly give the answer and, and look like the hero and everybody cheer and off to the races you go. Well, you're not always going to be there. And those people have to learn too, just like you have learned. And so part of this is you're, go back to what I was saying about community, you're gaining from the community, but you're also giving to the community. And this is a way you can give to the community by teaching them how to fend for themselves, how to work through a problem on their own. Don't just give them the answer, help them through it. And then the next time they can work through the problem and they don't have to come to you with it. But the other thing is the next time they come to you, it's probably going to be a juicier problem too that they're stuck with. And that'll be the next opportunity for you. So it's a cycle that you go through. I would love as we kind of wrap up here for you to maybe tell us, we've talked about so many things here, but the that career <laughs> progression, the the learning about how to move up or whether or not to move up. Can you tell us maybe a little bit about that decision that you've gone through several times about what's next in the career? How do you go about approaching that? It's a, It requires a heart-to-heart conversation with yourself. And most people aren't prepared for that. It's hard to have because you have to understand and have a little bit of self-inflection to understand outside in and what's the outside perspective of who I am and what I stand for and what's important to me and my values and whatnot. It's also, you know, being comfortable in your own skin and saying, you know what, I don't know everything. I mean, case in point, I don't know everything. I've had the opportunity to learn a lot. I've forgotten a lot too along the way. Don't ask me how to program a uh, Cat OS, Cisco Catalyst switch anymore. It's also important for you to understand, am I really of the right kind of genetic makeup for a given role? Am I ready for that? And so there are times when you have to decide, is it worth the risk to get what I want or, or what I'm looking for, right? Go back to what I was saying earlier about the, the different things that you need to be successful. Or is this just, I'm looking for a bigger paycheck, a different title, which should not be the only characterization that you're looking for. And so this goes back to a discussion I was having as part of the Wall Street Journal's CIO Summit last fall, where we were talking about CIO ascension to boards as a board director. And I took the standpoint of not all of you are cut out to be board material. And you should be okay with that. And my point wasn't to knock people down, but rather to kind of shake people up because we always think, oh, well, you can just ascend to, you know, if you're in IT, you get up to be the CIO and then maybe you go to be the COO or CEO or a board director, whatever. That's not always the case. You may not be programmed for that. That may not be on the pathway for you. And you have to understand what is and what isn't. And this is where mentors can be a great sounding board for you as you go through your career ascent from the most junior person to the most senior person in IT and beyond. And so for me, 
I wanted the ability to affect companies and organizations at a different level. And so that's why serving on a board is attractive to me. Serving as a board advisor is attractive to me. In some ways, a board advisor is more and less interesting than being a board director because it gives you more flexibility. You don't have as much control as you would as a board director. But on the other hand, you have a ton of flexibility in terms of how you engage and who you engage with. And you don't have, you don't have all of the um, compliance and regulatory components that still come along with it. But it it's also um, talks to, are you of the right kind of genetic makeup that would be appropriate to sit in the boardroom and engage in a board meeting? And I will say that there are a lot of IT people, including CIOs, that absolutely are not. And this is part of the reason why they're not invited into the boardroom is because they may not be the right demeanor to enter into that level of conversation. Go back to where I started this conversation. They also may not have the right relationships to be invited to those discussions too. And so all of this kind of comes together. If we want to kind of put a bow on this conversation, all of this comes together. And at the end of the day, whether you're the most junior person in IT or the most senior person in IT, relationships, knowing who you are, knowing the value that you bring to the organization, understanding your business are all super critical, super critical. And if you start there, that will take you a long ways in the right direction to determine who you are, the value you bring, and where your place is as you go through that career ascension. Nice. And the coach coaches himself. I love it. Well, we probably have to hit stop there. Thank you so much, Tim Crawford. We appreciate it. If anybody wants to follow up on this conversation, where can they find you? I'm pretty easy to reach on social media. You can reach me through the website, avoa.com, A-V-O-A.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter, X, Threads, Instagram. You can find me a lot of different places. I'm not hard to, to find. Well, thank you so much, Tim. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, guys. I enjoy the conversation, and I hope that uh, hope that others listening to this will find this valuable. And even if they take a nugget or two from it, that should be something that would be worthy. I know we did. Absolutely. Well, they'll they'll listen to it many times, like like watching the movie, rewinding and <laughs> watch watching the movie, again. You'll learn something new. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks again for your time. Again, such a cool discussion, Nick. There's listening back to it. There's just tons of stuff that I wanted to comment on, but you know, I'll I'll open it up by talking about that quote about delivering an organization. It's it's so interesting, you know, as a leader or as a manager, that is your job. Is the the output of what you're working on is to deliver a high functioning, high productivity, 
highly metriced, however it's metriced, organization. If you're a frontline manager, then it's just your immediate reports. If you're, you know, one level up a director, it's it's not just, you know, the immediate managers, it's the entire team that's that's reporting below the managerial level level. And if you're one level up, you know, senior director or VP, again, it's the entire organization that you're you're building the reports up to you. Uh, that's what your product is. And that's the output that you're working on. It just, it's, I think, maybe obvious in retrospect, but key insight is always obvious in retrospect. Of course. Delivering an organization, that's something that Tim mentioned back in Datanauts episode 101. I still say Datanauts is one of the best podcasts of all time. Chris, Ethan, if you're listening, we love you and we miss Datanauts dearly. Definitely. Definitely. How about that mention of knowing the value you bring to an organization being about connecting your work to the organization's goals? And I I feel like, in a way, we talked about people not being able to do this well, John. But in other conversations, we've talked about how one would hope that your manager can help you connect the dots a little bit there. Because if you can't connect the dots... My thinking is you may not feel like you are a valuable part of the organization or you may not feel like you have purpose in your work. Like how do, how does what I do contribute to whether this organization makes money or makes profit? And you may not you may not know the answer. You may really have to think on that. Yeah, I think it's also, you know, pretty important for an organization to be able to articulate what those goals are. And then be able to articulate at every level, here's how this love of the organization contributes towards that goal. And that's really, really important for for every every organization to be able to do at every level to to kind of help those people working within the organization understand which direction they should be pulling on the rope that they're pulling on, or you know, how them pulling on this rope helps the uh the organization achieve its goals, like why that's important. Because feeling like you're actually contributing is really, really important to your contentment with the position and and the job responsibilities. And knowing the value you provide, it falls in line with what Don Jones told us in episode 137 about thinking of yourself as a vendor who provides a service to an organization. So when someone hires you, they are investing in your talents and skills and a value that you bring to the organization. So that knowing that having someone help you make the connection or making the connection on your own can actually help you in that next job interview or performance review by articulating how you do it and showing someone the proof that you have done it. Here's, here's how I provide value and here's some proof of how I provided that value and the impact that it had. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just such a such a critical lesson to learn. I don't think everybody understands how a board of directors works. I sure still find some of it a mystery. It was a little bit surprising to hear that even high-level executives do not have seats at the table when it comes to being a part of board of directors meetings. Did you know that before this, John? I did not. Yeah, that was a that was a new one for me, but Glad we have people like Tim who can help people who want to progress to that level get there because he was talking about educating people on what it takes, what a meeting is like, how to prepare for it, what type of presentation it should be. And he 
even said that not everybody's cut out for it, and you have to be okay with that. I'm sure that's hard to swallow. Yeah, it probably is, especially for, you know, the type of personality that's proceeded to like a C-level executive. There's only so much room for the next level, right? And there's there's fewer of those positions as you go up. As you go up the pyramid, there's less, there's less room. So I think understanding how to communicate with that upper level, what they care about, how they're measuring things, like that's so important, you know, to understanding how they do that job. It actually is kind of, um, kind of interesting to hear that it's a little bit more of the same that we kind of say for every level, right? It's, you know, in order to understand how your manager thinks and what your manager cares about, you need to understand like what the success metrics that your manager, you know, is, is working under, you know, how your manager is measured. It's a similar story, right? As you go up. So if you want to understand how to effectively communicate with somebody really high up in the organization, a C-level exec, then you kind of need to understand like what those C-level execs care about. Like, and that's different from position to position. Sometimes it's different from organization to organization. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, maybe you can do is do some research and say, uh, figure out how, you know, most of the people who have this title are judged by and, and then, you know, maybe confirm that a little bit early on, maybe not by just like, you know, coming right out and asking, but saying, you know, am I correct in thinking that you probably care about X, Y, and Z within your organization? And that really goes a long way, I think, to calibrating one's thinking when one is communicating with somebody at that level. Sure. And go read the financial reports. I mean, take a little time to to do it. It might be difficult to digest, but Maybe you have a question about that, and that's a question that you can ask when you have those discussions. And those folks who are higher up can help you understand what that really means and what it means to them and how they get measured. Additionally, maybe do some research on you know how people at the level that you're trying to communicate with are, are hired, like who usually does the hiring, how their performance managed, and if they're let go, who usually does that? You know, is it done by a committee? You know, are all C-level executives hired by the CEO or only the ones who report directly to the CEO? Who does the CEO directly manage and who does the CEO have input in for hiring? These are important questions to know if you want to communicate at that level. You know, it's just natural to maybe miss out on that unless you put some time and effort into thinking about it. Sure. And you may have to figure out, okay, where are the places that C-level executives hang out to network with one another? And how do you go hang out there too? (laughs) Is that even possible? That's why I have memberships at all those uh, country clubs that I told you about. Oh, right. Right. Okay. You did, did you not want me to say that on the air? I'm sorry. Ah, my bad. Well, we didn't say which country clubs. Mm, mm, That's good. It's not location specific. I liked the the discussion of self-reflection being required when you think about what's next in your career. And I would posit that most of us don't do that. We just don't take the time to do it. it it's really hard to actually do that because you you need to dedicate time to just think. Kind of that deep work, be bored time to let your mind wander. And maybe you focus it on, okay, what are the things I like about what I'm doing? What are the things I don't like about what I'm doing? Is there something I wish was different? What are those things? I will tell you after 500-something days of morning pages or some form of that, journaling is a great way 
to try and clarify your thoughts and your thinking by just writing down what's in your head and what you're thinking about. You might get some insight that you just didn't have before. That's really cool. The morning pages discipline is something that people should look into if they don't know about it. I think it comes from The Artist's Way is the name of the book. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been referenced in other places. But yeah, it's a very specific form of journaling that is actually fairly technical and difficult, not easy to do. Definitely investigate that if if, um, you you don't have a place to start. It is a really good place to start. And they say three pages. I mean, you could start with one page if three is too many. Right. Mm -hmm. Incrementalism. Somebody I know recommended that. Start where you can start and grow as you can, right? This area of, you know, self-reflection, humble self-assessment, risk assessment. And then, you know, I think some of the same discussion that we had before when we were talking about, you know, people who are trying to go from a C-level exec to a board level is moving up really appropriate for you. You know, that's, you know, part of the assessment. Um, And I think some of this stuff, not just the, you know, whether moving up is the correct move for you, or if it's even in your skill set, if you have the personality for it, even just the risk assessment. Sometimes you just need to engage with uh, external parties to kind of bounce those ideas and really externalize them so that you can clearly articulate it to somebody else, you know, so that somebody else can understand all the thinking that's going into it. You know, if you, I think we've talked about this before, right? You need to be able to articulate it to somebody else to really, really know that it's solid in your own mind. Mm -hmm. Crystallize that learning. Absolutely. It was a great discussion with Tim. Like you said, concentrated like laundry detergent, man. That's why we had to break it into two. More great discussions like that. You know, just, it's it's amazing. We learn so much just by having these great conversations. Yep. So I hope uh, you, the loyal listenership, is is learning right alongside us, with us. And any episode or book that we mention in the show will be in the show notes at nerd-journey.com. So go check those out. Check it out. Just a reminder, we'd like people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at Nerd Journey. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at B Journeyman, for Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore, signing off. Adios. <laughs>